Well, you know, my voice <clears throat> is a little bit hoarse this morning. That's because I was cheering so loud when my team beat Calgary last night. <laughs> the land in between. The land in between. We're in the middle of this series called When God Leads the Way. And it's all about God raising up Moses, instructing him to go on, go into Egypt and help be part of the fulfillment of God's promise to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt and out of enslavement. And how we can see significant, I believe, similarities to the journey that we are on right now, in particular as it relates to covid as it relates to the things that we're experiencing and how the children of Israel are given these incredible opportunities in the midst of difficult things on the journey and how I believe we have incredible opportunities as well that God is inviting us to step into. And sadly for the children of Israel, they decided to allow themselves to be captivated significantly by their besetting sin. And the question needs to be asked, how are we navigating and how are we going to navigate the journey we are on? And so today we're going to be sticking to Numbers chapter 11, which we'll turn to in a minute. And it's like a parallel passage to Exodus chapter 16. And I'm grateful to a guy named Jeff Mannion about some of the ideas for today. The language of the land in between is for now. For now. This is happening and what we're going through for now. And so I'll try to describe it to you, although I think probably some of you know this language very well. But imagine it like this. Maybe you're in school for four years, and you had the privilege during those years of saying, I'm an education major or I'm a neurosciences major. And then all of a sudden, one day, a wonderful day comes and an incredibly scary day comes, graduation day. And in your immediate future, there is no job or career opportunity that even remotely resembles what you've been training for in these last four years. And you find yourself back doing a similar job to what you were doing before you went to school, for now. And you're saying to yourself, welcome to the land in between, where we are saying, for now, I am doing this. Or you're the parent who opens the picture album, and you see pictures of your six-year-old daughter, and she is so happy and innocent and engaged. And now 10 years later, she is defiant and distant. And you're asking, how do we heal our family in the land in between? And many of us find ourselves in situations like this where there's all these opportunities, but also very strong temptations that are not healthy. So sometimes it's very positive in the time in the land in between, but for some, 
And for many, frankly, right now, it's a time of being despondent, of being small d depressed, or feeling like there's a cloud hovering over them. And so we talk about for now, as we're in the land in between. In the story today, as we pick it up, God has fulfilled, as I said, his promise for 430 years to the children of Israel that they would be brought out of Egypt. He's raised up Moses. We, hold, we see the whole series of supernatural, real miracles performed in the nation of Egypt where Pharaoh hardens his heart over and over again, where Pharaoh makes false promises and then reneges. But finally, on the night that no one slept, he says, yes, you can go. And the people leave en masse. Two to two and a half million is a safe estimate of the number of people. They begin the journey to the promised land. Last week we came where they're sort of boxed in and they're facing the Red Sea. They see the clouds of dust of the armies of Egypt coming because Pharaoh has lied yet one more time and hardened his heart yet one more time. And God miraculously delivers them as he opens the Red Sea. They go through on dry ground and they are now commencing the journey in earnest towards the promised land. Can you imagine how much food it takes to feed two to two and a half million people? They're on the journey. They're in the land in between from the Red Sea to go to the promised land. Somebody sent me a thing about this some time ago, and I don't know if it's entirely accurate, but the article that I read suggested that to feed that many people would take two freight trains full of food approximately 1.6 kilometers in length every day of food. It's a lot of food. So how is it that God miraculously delivers them from the nation of Egypt sets them on this journey, how does God provide for his people in practical terms as they're making this journey? Well, he gives them, we can read in the surrounding chapters, he gives them manna, and manna literally means, what is this stuff? And it's like the scripture says, it's like flakes on the ground that they gather every day and they use a mortar and pestle to grind it up and it gets all mushy and they bake it into cakes. And the scripture says it tastes, it has the consistency of, and it tastes like something made with olive oil, which of course is quite healthy for you, right? Now, I don't know if it tasted good or not, or if it was incredibly bland, but have you ever eaten the same thing three meals a day? for an extended period of time, I'm guessing it's not too fun. And so when we check in with them, they are deeply dissatisfied with the situation as it regards to food, and it's rising to the level of almost becoming a riot. As we pick up the action in Numbers chapter 11, they are tired of manna. And so if you have your Bible or your device, you're here in the, in the room or if you're joining us online, I invite you to turn to the book of Numbers chapter 11. It's the fourth book of the Bible, Numbers chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 to 6. And it says this, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. So they're not doing it directly to him, but they're getting very close 
And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. He has had enough of their complaints, which never seem to end, their besetting sin. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. So God is delivering, I would suggest in verse 1, what we would call a warning shot. You know, in the Navy, when there's a ship going, you want it to stop. It refuses to stop. They shoot across the bows in front of the ship. And they're saying, you either stop or you're going to get shot. Last warning. You've been given many warnings. This is the last warning. And so God shoots a warning shot across the bows of the people. And, and when the people cried out to Moses, okay, they're very fickle. He prayed to the Lord and the fire died down so that the place was called Taborah because fire from the Lord had burned among them. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we had in Egypt at no cost. That's an ironic statement. The cost was, of course, their life. They were wailed on all the time and many of them died and they were enslaved. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions and garlic, but now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. You know, if you look at a desert, if you're familiar with the landscape of the area where they're moving around, you would think to yourself, because it's extremely dry, very arid, just desert scrub, that's basically that's all, produ- all that's produced in that area. Um, you're thinking to yourself, there's really not much potential for anything to grow here in this landscape. But actually, I'm going to suggest to you that it's incredibly fertile ground. And the thing that it's really good at growing is complaints. Can't you just hear them? I'm sick of this. We want something else. We want something else. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes we look at these people and we sort of adopt this very dignified, rarefied voice And we say something like this, after all the powerful things that God has done, delivering them from the Egyptian horde, how can they say this to God? How dare they? And we are tempted to place ourselves above them and say, oh, I would never complain like that. And I say to me and I say to you, maybe. And I would ask this question. How are we handling the current situation we're going through? Because I see some similarities to the journey. What's the claim, to, the complaint department like in our life? And might we be doing exactly the same thing? And this is extremely serious, friends. This is a very serious passage. Because they are not just complaining to Moses. Remember at first, as we go through the story, they're complaining about the circumstances. Then they start complaining about Moses. 
and in an indirect way, they're complaining about God. And they're working up their courage to get right in God's face directly and complain to him. But under the surface, it's all a complaint against God. The whole pattern. They long for the days of Egypt and they've got this warped view of what it was like back then when they were being tortured and abused and enslaved and life was not good. And the subtext of these complaints is this. We were better off without you, God. That's the subtext that's running in the background. We were better off without you, God. Jeff Mannion describes it this way. They are on the precipice of cosmic treason. The precipice of cosmic treason. And there is something about the spirit of complaint. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about non-constructive complaint. I'm not talking about addressing an issue that needs to be dealt with and saying, you know, there's an issue here, we need to deal with this, let's find a way forward. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the spirit of non-constructive complaint. You know, where I'm sick of COVID and I'm sick of people who don't agree with my view on COVID, whatever your view is. And we just harp on this and dwell on this all the time. Or I'm sick of not having a place of my own. Or I'm sick of deciding which bill to pay. Or I'm sick of going to bed wondering where my teenager is or my broken marriage. Or whatever it is, the litany of things that we adopt at times. A non-constructive spirit of complaint. We're going to find that the land in between is extremely fertile ground for complaint. So how does the leader react? How does Moses react? Because we know earlier in the story, he doesn't always act, react rather appropriately. But at this moment, let's just listen to the honesty in his prayers as he goes directly to God. We talked about this earlier in the series. We talked about when there's deals, we go directly to the source. We go right to God. He goes right to God beginning in verse 11. And it says this, he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant? They're very childish, he's saying, okay? To the land you promised on oath to their forefathers. Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. And so he's just very blunt and open with God, and God hears him. And then he says, he's having a bit of a meltdown here, but it's just between him and God. And in verse 15, he says, if this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now if I found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. I'm just guessing here, but I am thinking that Moses is not having a good day. He's not having a good day. And in... In that, we also hear the voices and the frustration of the man that's gone for all the medical tests, and they still can't come up with a solid diagnosis. Or I hear the voice of the couple that 
faithfully serve Jesus that aren't perfect but honor him well in their life and that child is still far from God? Is that kid ever coming back? And I wonder what voice do we hear other than Moses? And at times, you know, I have to be honest, I hear my voice. And I wonder if you hear yours. But at this point, you know, he he goes directly to God and talks to him forthrightly about what he's going through. And so the question is, is how is God going to meet Moses? How will God meet me in the land in between, whatever that means for you? And so we see it in verse 16 and 17, and it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who were known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, that is on you and put the Holy Spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you do not have to carry it alone. So come to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the place where you meet with God, and uh, choose 70 leaders that are gifted from among you, demonstrated leadership. And Moses, you have received a special infilling infilling of the Holy Spirit that is, is supernatural, that is available to every believer today as the Spirit has been poured out in general. But here, it's a specific outpouring in the Old Testament on Moses, and he says, I'm going to put that same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, on these 70 leaders. And so they come, and God spreads out the burden, and he lessens the load. And the land in between is not just fertile land for complaint, it's also fertile ground for God's provision. And I believe when we're worn out and perhaps discouraged, maybe even small d depressed, maybe we're sensing uh, being overwhelmed. This is the time to hand our hands very open to God and to proclaim the truths we know to be true about God and to pray to him and say, I don't get this, but I do know at the end of the day after I bring forth my lament, which it was kind of a mini lament from Moses, after I bring forth my lament, I will proclaim that you are good, I will proclaim that you are gracious, I will acknowledge that you will provide. And of course, as we always say, he does provide, maybe not exactly in the way I imagine he should or will, and maybe not in exactly the timeline I think he should, but he will provide. And so I open my hands and I release this crushing, if it's anxiety, over to him. And God provides. And with open hands, I get to that place where I'm going to trust that he will provide. And I begin to step into the opportunities he provides. And so he maybe pulls me out of that small D depression. Maybe he gives me enough strength just for that day. Um, He might encourage one of our friends to phone us or email us or text us and they give us a word of encouragement. He might get the doctor to help figure out what the issue is in our life and help us. Um, Maybe you came to church today on site here or you've joined us online and you're thinking to yourself, and maybe this happens to you at times where you just say, that sermon just seems to be exactly for me. How did Scott know that about me? 
How did that happen? Now, I've said this to you a long time ago, but I'll say it again. Something I never do. And I've been speaking since I was a young teenager. I've been speaking for 40 years. Something I never do is when I'm preparing a message, I don't ever sit down and go, okay, so-and-so is going to be here, and so I should say this because they really need to hear it. I never do that. And I also don't sit down and go, so-and-so is going to be here, so I better not say that. I never do that. And so um, I just try to open God's word, exposit it, and preach the scriptures. And so if it's deeply personal for you and you're thinking, how did he know that about me? that it speaks to me on such personal, intimate terms, like he knows what's going on in my mind or in my life. My word to you is this. That is the Spirit of God speaking to you very personally, and you had better take it very seriously and listen to it very seriously. Because at that moment, the Spirit of God is saying any number of things to you. He might be saying to you, Scott or whoever you are, you need a word of discipline right now. And so this is why it's so personal. Or you need a word of warning right now. Or you need a word of admonishment. Or you need a word of encouragement. You're discouraged. Here's a word of encouragement right from God to you through his spirit. You might need a word of challenge. You need to get out of your seat and get going with this thing that I'm challenging you to do. You need a word of love. You need to be reminded that I love you no matter what you do or don't do. I love you perfectly. And your word for me is that today. So we had better listen to the spirit who speaks to us very personally. I remember my friend, he's a pastor, and I so needed to hear this. He's a pastor in Ontario, and uh, this happened a little while ago, and he was fired from his church. And I don't really know all the specifics. I don't know if he needed to be fired. Sometimes pastors do need to be fired, but uh, sometimes they don't, and it's sometimes not done very well. And I don't know what happened there, but I do know this. I know he was deeply hurt, he and his wife. And he just wrote this, and it spoke incredibly powerfully to him and to me. Three words, satisfied in Christ. Satisfied in Christ. And this is a guy that gets it all the way. No matter all the noise that's going on around us, there's satisfaction in who I am in Christ, in who Christ is, and what Christ did. So this other issue is going on, the manna riots. We're tired of manna, and we want meat. And so how does God react to this? Verse 18, tell the people, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow. And when you eat meat, the Lord, hear, the Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it just for a day or for two days or five days or 10 or 20, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils. There's a poignant image, eh? They're going to stuff so much food in them, so much meat, it's going to be coming out their nostrils. And until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. 
Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Friends, somebody is in trouble right now. Big time trouble. God shoots the warning shot in verse 1. He says, I have had enough of your complaining and murmuring against me. And I am calling on you to stop. And here's the warning shot. And they don't. They just pick up where they left off and they get worse and worse and worse. And Moses says, because you have rejected the Lord and you're not just complaining about the cafeteria food here, you have turned a corner and you are saying, God, we are better off without you. You have committed cosmic treason. And that is serious stuff. Verse 21, but Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I will give them me to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough? Like Moses can't quite figure, how is this going to work? He's going, would they have it enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? And Moses just reminds him who he is. God rather reminds Moses who he is. The Lord answered Moses, is the arm, Lord's arm too short? And he's reminding Moses, hey Moses, I can be trusted. I've got this. Remember what I did in Egypt. What I remember what I did in creating the universe. I've got this. And I think sometimes we are a little bit like Moses here with all that's going on. We're saying, God, Is your arm too short in these circumstances? Are you too busy doing something else? Are you too weak to intervene? And the land in between is fertile ground for complaint. It's fertile ground for God's provision. It's also fertile ground for God's discipline. Verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and brought quail in from the sea. It brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground as far as a day's walk in any direction. And all that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. That's like 10 bushels of birds. Then they spread them out all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, And before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. God said that's enough. He gives of a superior plague. And in verse 34, it says, all the rabble that were complaining and leading the charge died from the plague. Cosmic treason. You know, it's not easy to understand at times, and it's certainly not easy to explain God's discipline. And and so I approach this next part with trepidation. But let me say this. God's patience and his mercy and his grace 
goes so far beyond our ability, certainly way beyond our ability to practice and way beyond our ability to comprehend. It makes no sense on a human level. His level of patience, his level of mercy, his level of grace, we do not have the capacity to wrap our minds around that. But it does have a limit. And he will judge. And he is a righteous judge. And we know that his discipline does not contradict love. It's actually an expression of his love. His biblical righteous discipline from God is the inflicting of a limitation or a difficulty or a pain for redemptive purposes. It's not just pain for pain's sake. It's meant to help rescue people that will not listen in any other way. And so God's discipline here is for redemptive purposes. And we respect a God who is just and yet equally merciful. And he brings correction. And here's a warning, folks. We should not be naive enough to think that he doesn't do that today. He does. If you think you can just keep thumbing your nose at God, I don't know where the limit is, but there is a limit. In fact, I was just sharing a story last night with my dad of someone I know that thumbed their nose at God over and over and over again, and all of a sudden, done. They didn't die, but they became a shell of the individual, and they had a complete breakdown. Boom. I will not repent. I will not follow God, even though I've been warned over and over and over again. There was one final warning, and they said no, and hung up the phone, and boom, done. So very serious stuff. Cosmic treason is serious stuff. And when we embrace a spirit of complaint, what we're really saying is, I'm better off without you, God. And it leads to God's discipline. So what do we do with this little story? The land in between is fertile ground, finally, for transformational growth. I think this is one of the places where God loves to do just some of his greatest work, where he says, I want to teach you some things that no other set of circumstances really give themselves towards you learning. And I need you to trust me in ways maybe you've never trusted me before. And as we go through these things, we invite this learning in our life. We say, Lord, um, teach me what it means to trust you, to seize the opportunities that you're presenting to me, to help me understand that in no way is your arm ever too short. You know, when the Israelites leave Egypt, they are not orderly. They are not well-formed followers of God. They have grown up for hundreds of years amongst generations of idol worshipers, of people who worship Pharaoh and many gods, and they have been exposed to this for multiple generations, and they need some transformational growth before they hit the promised land. They need to begin to understand when the Egyptians are chasing you towards the Red Sea, you need to learn to trust me. When you run out of water, 
in the desert where there basically is very little water, if any, in that area, you need to trust me. When you run out of food, because it takes a whole lot of food to feed two and a half million people, you need to trust me. And when you head into the promised land, you are going to need to trust me. So let's learn some of these developmental transformational lessons about trust right now on the journey. And in the land in between, you and I need to learn how to pray, and we need to learn, at least I do, learn those lessons of trust. Because the choices we make now determine our future. We don't live in this little silo. And the wilderness is the environment for, and and we're never neutral in these areas. You've heard me say this many times. And when, when we're in these environments, it either leads to transformational growth or it leads to faith dying. And there's abundant evidence in the church of today, and I would argue in our church too, for both of these things going on. And so Moses is blunt and honest with God. He opens his heart to God. The Israelites complained against God, period, and that's the big difference. And a complaint, this this spirit of complaint, this besetting sin, arrives like an uninvited guest to your house. It moves into the guest room It throws a load of laundry into the machines without asking, and it starts rooting around in the fridge, seeing what it can eat. And trust evicts complaint. And it might sound like this, I don't totally understand what's going on here, God. It's a bit of a mystery to me, and I'm I'm hurting, I'm upset, I'm this, I'm that. I'm honest with you, God, but I'm asking for your help, and I declare that your arm is not too short, that you are the God that provides, and I'm, I'm asking you to help me to learn how to trust you. So I'm just going to invite everybody here. Just I'm going to pray a prayer of benediction. Just close your eyes, whether you're at home, online, joining us, or here in the room. Just close your eyes and just receive this word of blessing from God. May God bless you in the land, in the land in between. May God guard your heart. May God help you to trust and grow in trust of him. May our gracious God provide you what you need when you need it. In Jesus' name, amen.